0: The scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1-12. through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. We found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when we went in, we did not find the body. At first we were just puzzled about this, and suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside us. We were so terrified that we just kept our eyes on the ground. Then these men spoke to us. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then we remembered Jesus' words. So we ran from the tomb to all the eleven and the others. Now this was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who went and told this to the apostles. But they treated our words like an idle story, and they did not believe us. But then Peter got up, left us, and ran to the tomb. Peter stooped and looked in, and saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You come before you God today perhaps a little bit like they did. Something's happened. We're not sure what we think about it, we're not sure what to do with it, and we're not at all certain what it's going to do to us, but something's happened. So we ask you to continue to be with us in ways that are personal, and that you would be with us as a larger family of faith. Speak to us as we have need and capacity to hear. Help us to feel to the places we can open up our hearts to you. And allow the truth and joy of this day as you intended to live and live within us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, today is a celebration day. It is a festival day. It is a day that we have been looking forward to for a long time. For over a year, I've been hearing about this day. We've been reminded about it over and over again And everything we have been doing has been pointing to this day. I'm almost weary to finally get here. But in anticipation and with great joy and a little relief, I announce to you that today, Amy Mayomoyo turns 40. Now, in other parts of the world, there's other reasons to rejoice. (laughs) Of course, today is a festival day for something that is eternally and powerfully impacting the entire cosmos. Today is much anticipated. For Christians, it's the most important day of the year. For Christians, if this day of the year is not real, none of the other days matter. None of the other Sundays are worth having. There's no reason to gather as the church if today is not real. There's something about this day that stirs deep within us that lets us know how important it is, even when we don't fully understand what that's all about. Churches put everything into making today to be a great day. Now, we've had amazing worship happening within the life of our community, and today is another of those strings of blessings. But it's somehow still special and unique, and you sense it and you know it. You see it when you walk in the room, and you feel it when you gather together. Easter crowds are larger than other Sundays usually because there's something in the moment, even if we're not sure what it is, it says we need to gather together. In some form or fashion this is true, we are coming because we are hoping that there is something here bigger than ourselves. We're hoping that somehow this is a day that will make a difference in our lives. We are coming because it's Easter. This is Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate it and we sing it. And churches here together in this community and around the world make sure we don't miss the opportunity to enter into this Easter truth. But the reality is, even those who entered it for the first time weren't sure what to do with it. The women were surprised, to say the least. They went to the tomb, as you know the story, intending to continue burial. They were continuing to practice an exercise of what one does to keep death reverent. They were going to anoint a dead body. Instead, they walk into an empty tomb and are encountered by two angels who say to them, Don't you remember we told you, he told you this was going to happen? Don't you know That what has happened is true? Now think about that. If you came into church this Sunday with some understanding that this was sort of kind of gonna go on, and all of a sudden in the pulpit wasn't Rick Dake, but two angels. Would that not just stir you a little bit? No, not now stop it. You're a little hopeful back there, so lay off. It's an impacting reality, it's a moment of confusion and the women see what's going on and they try to understand and they leave. They're called perplexed and terrified and yet they go out with an attempt to try to tell the truth and prove to be ineffective witnesses. In the first moment of telling the Easter story they go to what should be an easy crowd to sell it to. They go to the disciples and they tell them it's happened, it's real, and the disciples don't believe. The disciples, for three years, have been following him and heard him also say this was going to happen. And on Easter morning, they sat in the room and went, No, it's not true. Only Peter could find the energy to get up to leave the room of doubt and to head down the road back to the tomb. He walks into the tomb. Now, why do you think it's Peter who goes? What do you remember Peter for? In the story, what has he just done? He denies Christ, right? How many times? Do you understand how much he had out there that was haunting him? He knew of all, he was going to be the one pointed to as the one who had denied Jesus three times, and that was going to be his legacy. Maybe that's what got him to least go, maybe have a chance and a hope. And so he walks into this tomb, and he sees that in fact it is empty, and there lying are the burial clothes that are no longer needed. And he picks him up. It has been witnessed to him. He's in the empty tomb. He's holding clothes that are no longer needed to be worn by a dead body. And it says he walks and goes back home amazed. So if you're not sure what to do with Easter today, understand you may be in extremely good company. They wanted to know, those first witnesses, whether or not this resurrection was real, whether it was true, and what it would mean for their life. And usually we give them a pass. We give them a pass because we know they were lost in grief. And after all, when we're lost in grief, we're not clear. We're not thinking straight. We're not taking information in as we would on other days. We also give them a pass because we go on and read the rest of the story because they didn't stay lost in their confusion or being perplexed or simply amazed. The scripture shows them beginning to gather together and understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was true, not just because it happened in an empty tomb, but because it was happening in them and around them. They gathered together as the church and held all in common, and they began to reach out and care for any who had need, because the risen Christ was making them into a community that just took that as the way to live. They began to be disciples who had the courage to go out, not in disbelief, but with a confidence to say, Jesus Christ is risen, and discover when they said it, the power of the risen Christ poured through them and changed lives. Peter. Peter. who who enters this story as the guy who betrayed Jesus three times becomes the one who's able to stand up and because he lets Christ pour through him, preach a message where 3,000 in one day come to believe in Jesus Christ. See, Easter was happening through them and all around them. They began to understand that Easter was more than a concept, that resurrection was not simply a thought, it was a truth. It was their experience. They felt the living power of Jesus. They trusted in him. They talked with him. They saw him. They saw lives change, doors opened, and impossible barriers become examples of what the living Christ can do in the here and now. Now That's their story. But I want to suggest to you that I'm not sure we fully have gotten to where they got to. I want to suggest to you that I think still today, many of us come to the resurrection and begin to say, you know, this Jesus Christ is a pretty amazing God. This Jesus Christ says some things that are really attractive to me. I wonder if maybe I shouldn't think about patterning my life after this Jesus. We hear him say things like, love your neighbor. And we go, yeah, you know, I should do more of that. I probably should love my neighbor more. I'm going to do that. We hear him forgive people in ways that stun us. And we think, you know, I ought to be a more forgiving person. I ought to let that go. We think, we hear him say, do not be afraid. And we say, I'm tired of living in fear. So today I'm going to be courageous. Today I'm going to be strong in front of the things that frighten me. I'm going to be like Jesus. And then we go out and live our life. And we discover that I can love some of my neighbors. And you know which ones you can't. Which ones was, come on, seriously, who could love them? Not even, well, I probably should say that. But we find a place where we cannot extend love. We talk about forgiveness, and we go, well, yeah, I can let that go. Oh, I need to quit bother. let that person bother me. All right, I'll forgive you. But I won't forgive that. And I won't forgive you for doing that. And we all have those things in our life that we know if someone touches that, all bets are off. And we say we don't want to be afraid. So we stand courageous, like a three year old in the middle of a sunny afternoon. Strong until the darkness comes. And the ghosts and goblins underneath the bed start to stir again and we become scared. Too many times we have come to resurrection and we come to the story of Jesus and we think Jesus is a guy we should become more like. If only we could be like Jesus. If only I could talk and think and feel the way Jesus thought and felt. If only I could love Jesus, be the model that I live my life after. You know, the what would Jesus do translates into what would I do if I could be like Jesus? The problem of that is Jesus did not come to make you a better version of yourself. Jesus did not come to be a moral teacher so you and I could see what it looks like to forgive so we can forgive like him. Jesus did not come into the world to become the new ethicist that we would put up in front of the world and say, y'all ought to behave like Jesus because here's the truth, none of you, none of me is going to pull that off. I'm going to be a little bit better for a little bit longer until the life in my world catches up with me. I am who I am. And the capacities that I have can be stretched, but they fundamentally can't be changed because I am who I am. Jesus did not come to make you a better person. Jesus came as the resurrected Lord to come to our lives and say to me, Rick, step aside. Let me live in you. Let me be the living force going through you. You want to learn how to live in a world where you learn how to forgive? Then let me through you forgive you and those you need to forgive. You want to quit living in fear? Then let me live in you so that you'll keep your focus on me and understand as long as I'm with you, there is nothing that you need to be afraid of. You need to love your neighbor. Quit trying. Know that I love your neighbor. And let me love them through you. That's what the disciples came to understand. They were just a bunch of fishermen who really had no skill sets necessary to change the world. The only thing they could do is quit being in charge and let God, Christ, live through them. That's resurrection. That's what we're about today. Over these last few weeks throughout Lent, we've been praying this Lenten prayer. Lord, what do you want to do through me? That prayer... I have started to, I started to pray in the first part of Lent. you know what I did with that? I'm just going to be honest. I taught you to pray, Lord, what do you want to do through me? I went home and prayed and said, Lord, what now can I do because of you? Guess what? What I can do is make strong proclamation and not follow through. I can make big intents and promises and plans and I won't follow through with them because I'm still Rick. The prayer was never intended for you to work a little harder, be a little better, become the hero of your own faith story. It is for you to have the experience of being changed because Christ becomes the one who's living in you and through you and in charge of your life, becoming your Lord, resurrected and re I want to share with you this simple truth. Over this past week, number of weeks, I've never experienced more personal conversion, nor experienced more conversion in the life of a congregation I've been leading in my entire ministry. I've been watching lives change. I've been seeing my own heart change. Someone came to me in a few weeks ago and they walked up to me and they put an envelope in my hand, and they walked away, and I went to my office, and I opened up the envelope. And in it were two pieces of paper. One was a check for the capital campaign, which was significant, but it was not nearly as impacting as the letter that accompanied it. I want to read this section to you. This person writes, "I've been praying so much during the past month. I've been asking, God, what do you want to do through me, just as you asked?" I've prayed it over and over and I tried to let go of my fear and just pray with an open heart. She then goes on to talk about what God did after she prayed that prayer. She talks about wanting and giving the gift that she gave and says this, My prayers have led me to give till I can truly feel it. While I feel this, it is a wonderful feeling of God working through me. It feels amazing. I do not know what the future will bring. I do know that I will continue to pray and I will always do my best to discern what God wants to do through me. That letter reflects what has happened in the lives of so many in the last few weeks. We've begun to ask God, what do you want to do through us rather than how much you think we can do? Olivia Paulson is a ninth grader and she's in our confirmation class and she's sitting somewhere in the room. She's up there. Hi, Olivia, working the soundboard today. Thanks, Olivia. Don't cut me off right now, okay? <laughs> our ninth graders are doing a kingdom assignment. Our confirmands are doing a kingdom assignment, which means basically we give each confirmand 100 $100. And they used that $100 to figure out a way in the name of Jesus Christ they can go do something to make a difference in the world for his name. A year ago, I sat with Olivia and her family on a really horrific day as we sat there at a funeral for a family member who had committed suicide. It was powerfully painful. And when it came time to do the kingdom assignment, Olivia decided to use the pain that was within her and put it alongside the Jesus Christ who was living with her and within her. And she began to make these. These are scars that she makes. And they go on this way. <laughs> Come on. I look good. You're just impressed I knew how to get that on, aren't you? <laughs> She's begun to make these scarves because she wanted to take a terrible, horrific, painful experience and let Jesus do something else with them. So now she has sold enough of these scarves to raise $3,000 for an organization that works with families who have gone through suicide or are dealing with suicide. This coming week she'll be interviewed by one of those, a member of that organization who wants to tell her story. Her story is that she let Jesus Christ live in her and let that begin to change her life and the lives of others. Do you hear me? today Ethan and Jack are down in the fellowship hall or out in Crossroads it looks like they're doing a pretty simple activity they're selling popcorn they're letting Jesus Christ work in them to change the world so if you want to buy some popcorn go help them out and we had other confirmants tell us about trying to collect boots for homeless people in Flint to raise money to buy toys for children who are sick at Mott Children's Hospital in U of M and so on the list goes it's not because they're just good kids though they are It's because they're beginning to understand it's not about being a good kid or a good citizen or a good person. It's about letting Jesus Christ live in them and change the world. It's Resurrection Sunday. I look around this room right now and I see people who are hurting and who have overcome so many hurts over this past year, physical relationship, other. And I know why you're here. You're here because you've experienced Jesus Christ getting you through horrific times. You're here because Jesus Christ has been your power and the strength, and you're here because you're hoping he still can be. It's Resurrection Sunday. He is, and it's happening now. Mary Gladstone Highland is right here. She's signing today's worship service for us, and she's on our staff from the Board of Global Ministries helping us to reach out and do mission in the world. Now you know that we're doing a building project. You know that we intend to build a building and we are going to build a building. Over the next few months we're going to figure out how much we can afford and we're going to build what we can afford. We're going to pay it off when we're done and we're going to move on because we're going to use that building as a tool to launch mission and ministry to the community and to the region. Jesus Christ is not calling the disciples of the Bible to go out into the world and change He's calling us and that's what we're going to do. But we're not waiting for the building to be built Mary's going to guide our congregation, the program will be starting very soon, that for 16 weeks we're going to sit down with families in our area who live on a daily basis with poverty. We're going to engage in a long conversation where we can build relationship and mutual understanding of what does it mean to really live in poverty daily. And together we're going to add our assets together, we're going to come together, and we're going to figure out ways to change lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's going to get us involved in the realities of things like affordable housing, jobs that can allow people to take care of their families, and ways in which we can assist families to take care of their children and have healthier family relationships and marriages and friendships, so they can find their footing in this world, and we're doing it not because we are a social service agency. We're doing it because in the name of Jesus Christ, you touch and change people's lives and you let him flow through you. And that's where we're going and that's what we're going to do. We're going to do it because of today. We're going to do it because this is Resurrection Sunday. We come today because down deep we know that we need more than our best efforts. We need the risen Christ to live in us. Jesus was a great teacher and a great role model, but we do not need a 2,000-year-old role model. We need a risen Christ living in us to make possible the impossible, and that is exactly what today is about. Today we come together not simply to remember what he did, but to be the church who knows what he is doing and to go out and do it in his name. We are sharing and connecting with each other because we know that that's where the power of the resurrection is most significant and life-changing. We will carry each other's burdens and we will dance with each other's joys. We are not going to simply remember how the church once did, we're going to be the church of the resurrection here and now. And we're going to conclude today's service with a celebration of the Sacrament of Holy Communion. This is not a service of remembrance. This is not a memorial service of someone who once was alive but is now dead This is the moment where you get to enter into the drama of the story of Jesus where Jesus promises to us that in his death and in his resurrection, that bread that looks like bread becomes his body, and that cup becomes the cup of new covenant holding his blood, and when we dip into it and receive whatever else theologically we may do with that moment, understand this to be true. Jesus Christ is present here and now and welcome to embrace you in the moment you embrace and receive him. And this sacrament, is to get to know Jesus, not remember him, to know him present, to know him real, to know him personal. In this sacrament, Jesus Christ is present. And I'm here to tell you very clearly, this meal is not just for United Methodists. It's not for good Christians. It's not for people who think they are worthy. Jesus Christ comes out of the tomb for all of us and for all people. All are welcome at the table of the Lord, and there are no exceptions, no exceptions at all. This is a place of equality and celebration because Jesus Christ wants to live in every person who comes forward and you were invited in that spirit to come and share in this Easter meal. I'm inviting you to come to communion with no less expectation than being like those women and Peter when they walked into that empty tomb, looked around and realized he's alive and he's alive in this moment and has received this sacrament. He's alive with us as we receive and as we go back to our pews. He's alive with us as we sing our songs and go back to our work and to the schools and to our families and to our friends and discover that he wants to not make you better there, but to go through you and be there as a living witness to what God can do. This is Resurrection Day. It's Easter and the world has changed. And you are welcome to open up your heart and lives and let him be the risen Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.